Welcome again to another episode of 10 Minutes with the Master Enchilada Roller, Russell Ibarra. I am here at our corporate offices at the intersection of Shepherd and Bissonette. And um, today is Memorial Day, and I want to give thanks to the veterans who basically gave the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can have the freedoms that we get to enjoy. And uh, what an incredible country this is. And thank you so much. Um, One veteran in particular I want to uh, say thank you to is Leroy Sandoval Jr., who uh, passed away back in 2004. He was a good friend of the, uh, he was a good family friend. And uh, it was was shocking to see him, um, you know, lose his life uh, in Afghanistan. Or no, was it that? No, Iraq, actually, in Fallujah, Iraq. And so, Leroy, thank you. Um, but anyway, so today uh, is, is a special day, and uh, I just want to talk to you about a couple of things. So last week, Stake 48 uh, was kind of being raked over the coals because they had uh, posted a sign outside one of their, or two of their restaurants, Philadelphia and Chicago. And it was a sign that basically stated uh, that there was a $100 minimum food and beverage uh, charge per person and that, uh, of course, a lot of people got upset. But most of the people who did get upset uh, are probably not even patrons of theirs. People that really enjoy going to Steak 48, um, they know what it costs to go experience a, a full-service dining experience at a steakhouse, a high-end steakhouse. And so most people, I don't believe, are going to have an issue with it. But it did cause an uproar. Uh, but I don't believe it's going to hurt them any because, if anything, it's going to just free up more reservations so people that been wanting to go there can actually get a table because it's tough to get a table there and they they put out a great product and actually steak 48 um the original location was actually called steak 44 out of scottsdale arizona and the reason they didn't go with steak 44 here in houston is because of 44 farms and so they named it uh, steak 48 and then i guess they expanded to other cities throughout the united states but uh, they, the, the people that own Steak 48 are the Mastro's brothers, and they actually started Mastro's. And so Tillman ended up with that because I believe the Mastro brothers at one time sold a portion to a private equity group, and I'm not sure what all happened after that, but Tillman ended up with it with Mastro's, and the brothers decided to open up another steakhouse, and they went with uh, Steak 44. And then here in Houston at Stake 48. But anyway, the, the $100 minimum charge um, is really easy to get to. Uh, most people that go to a high-end steakhouse don't go there to, uh, to order uh, on, a, on a budget, if you will. I mean, they go there to experience the, in, the entire gamut from, you know, from uh, cocktails to dessert and everything in between. So, uh, you know, there, there are other choices that people can go to to enjoy steak. Uh, salt grass, you know, if, if uh, you don't want to spend $100 per person. Uh, 
And so anyway, um, I just thought that was interesting because, you know, we there's a reason why they have to do this. And, you know, people don't realize that when you are in a high rent district like that, uh, Stake 40, 48 in the river, they're in the River Oaks district here in Houston off Westheimer. Uh, just uh, east of the Galleria, their rent there, and I'm I'm going to guess uh, it's a, it's approximately uh, seven hundred thousand a year in just rent, and uh, and then of course they have to pay the CAM, which a CAM is the common area maintenance and and uh, the, what they call a triple net lease, uh, so they are responsible for their portion of the property taxes, which I know have to be high. There was a Mexican restaurant here in town that wanted us to take over their building and just pay the property taxes on it of $280,000 per year. And that location is probably not even as high end as the one that Stake 48 is at. So their overhead alone uh, forces them to get that uh, PPA up or that price per person average up. And so $100 is actually on the low end of a high-end steakhouse. Uh, last uh, last uh, last week, I went to uh, Mastro's and there was five of us. We ordered a bottle of wine that was, uh, I want to say, two or three hundred dollars, and then uh, our entrees, of course. And I think our bill was close to eleven hundred dollars for five of us. So it is easy to hit it. Um, and what they don't want are people that come in there and just uh, maybe order water and a, one piece of meat, and that's it. Uh, you know, if you, if you want it that bad, just get it to go. But don't occupy that space because they really need to turn it for a high average. Uh, it just and, you know, and also if you go into Steak 48 or any restaurant for that matter that's really busy, just count the number of people that are there and just do the math uh, of what it costs them to, to, to just staff a restaurant. There's so many moving parts uh, to operating a restaurant that really most people cannot appreciate it unless they've actually done it themselves. So anyway, Steak 48, uh, their their sign went viral, but I think it's actually good press because a lot of people uh, were actually uh, speaking uh, on their behalf, saying you know that's what they should do, and 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 a lot of times it just keeps out uh, any bad elements that may um, you know hang out in a, in a high end steakhouse for ulterior motives, let's say. But anyway, another thing I want to talk to you about was um, there's a a trade publication by by uh, a trade publication magazine called Plate, and uh, it's a great magazine. It it basically uh, just has lots of pictures and, st- and a few stories, but lots of pictures of uh, plate presentations, and of course a lot of um, uh, vendors, um, ingredient suppliers, and all that that they advertise in it. But anyway, it's a nice magazine. But one thing that caught my attention on the most recent uh, edition, the, the May June of 2021 edition, is um, the headline and it said special section operating and here was the headline operating an anti-racist restaurant and i thought to myself what the heck is an anti-racist restaurant i would think every business is an anti-racist business um i mean if you're not i would think that you would have been called out a long time ago but on the cover of the magazine was um was chris williams with lucille's here in houston uh, uh, Chris is an African American, um, uh, very uh, very successful restaurant, great restaurant, great food, and um, he told his side of the story, and and I can see where the the, the magazine itself wanted to angle the story, uh, but you know, and it's and we've had to deal with it as well. We've had, for example, recently we had to demote a um, a 
manager because he had made some derogatory comments in in jest toward a a black coworker, and um, he thought it was funny, but there was nothing funny about it. And so he was reprimanded, he was written up, he was demoted, and we will attack that aggressively once it's brought to our attention. So when, when it says creating, when the headline says creating an anti-racist restaurant, you can do everything in your power to create one. And what they're really, I guess, wanting you to, to know or do is to create a culture where it's not acceptable to be racist or racist jokes or comments. And I get completely get that because it'll get out of hand. I mean, you just don't want to even go down that road because there's nothing you can control once you allow it. So that's why we have a zero tolerance policy uh, for that. And, um, and we will address it once we, something like that is brought to our attention. But I thought that uh, the, the, the actual saying or, or title, uh, creating an anti-restaurant, I, I believe it's, impossible to do it on the surface because all it really requires is one person to to say the say or do the wrong thing and you're now considered a racist restaurant but what they're really talking about is the environment to create a an environment to where uh, it is unacceptable to make uh, jokes or derogatory comments about any race whether it's you know asian hispanic black or you name it but anyway, I thought it was interesting because uh, I know we're not a, uh, a racist restaurant whatsoever at all. But uh, anyway, so that's what I wanted to talk to you about, that magazine cover from uh, Plate. You can check it out. You can actually probably, probably find it online as well. I was reading a commodities report uh, about uh, everything that's going up. And uh, hold on, hold on, because it's about to get rough. Uh, everything that you know, the, everything it takes, for example, to raise a chicken, uh, because right now chicken wings, for example, a lot of restaurants like Buffalo Wall Wings and other companies, um, big city wings, all these restaurants, there's a shortage on wings. I mean, after all, a chicken only has two. So you can imagine how many you eat and uh, and then how many a restaurant serves. And then you go nationwide and you're talking millions and millions and millions of chickens that have to be raised, fed. Uh, transported, uh, uh, processed, uh, shipped, uh, packed, you name it. I mean, uh, and prepped and cooked. And so, yeah, it's its just uh, everything is going up. Every stage of the process is going up. The labor that, that performs each, uh, each step is going up. And it's going to get very interesting before we know where it settles. So hold, hold on to your wallets because it's coming. You know, I have a uh, an open door policy at, my, at at our restaurants, uh, I want people to be able to feel that feel comfortable enough to request to meet with me one on one. Should they feel that they've they've uh, used every uh, avenue to resolve an issue? And most recently, I was contacted by someone I actually went to school with, and I'm not going to mention names or location or anything. But this person contacted me and said that there was an issue with his uh, his spouse, and at one of our restaurants, and that there were some other team members that were being basically rude and uh what else basically favoritism a lot of favoritism and so you know it's it's one thing to say that now we have to prove that um and you know there's always going to be three sides to a story you know the and the truth being the third 
So uh, our, one of my VPs, uh, Danny Hanks, is looking into it. And what he's doing right now is gathering facts, factual numbers to prove whether or not this is happening because numbers don't lie. And uh, and so we're looking into it. But I always have an open door policy because I, I if it matters to them, then it matters to me. And I want to make sure that they know that we're doing everything within our power to resolve an issue, a dispute or whatever may come up. Because uh, they are, our team members are obviously extremely important to us. We cannot succeed without them. So um, last Thursday, I also uh, met up with some some friends at uh, the Oak Room. Uh, one of them was uh, Ricky Craig with um, Hubcap Brill. And then I also met up with uh, Sam uh, El Sadi. And uh, he has Big City Wings and uh, my brother Roland with El Toro and my other brother Moses with uh, El Matador Tortilla Factory. So we met up at the Oak Room, had a couple of drinks. And then I had one of the, the cocktail waitresses reserve us a table at Mastro's. And we went down and had dinner, a nice dinner at Mastro's. My biggest complaint with Mastro's uh, is not the food. The food's great. It's just the noise level. And... I know I may be sounding old, but it's just, it's so loud, it's hard to carry on a conversation. I believe that when you're sitting at a round table, you should be able to talk to the person on the opposite end of that round table without screaming and without having to twist your head to hear what they have to say. You should be able to have a conversation and then adjust volume or music accordingly. But a lot of it has to do with acoustics. You know, um, you can have a good sound going, but I just don't need the extra uh, echo, if you will, of of, of loud music. Uh, I just it just it's a big turnoff for me. But other than that, it was just great. Uh, the food at Mastro's, the steak was probably one of the best ones I've had uh, in a long, long time, and I just really had a great time. Um, you know, when I pulled into that property that night, uh, I, I went in the back way, and so as I pulled in, I was, and the, the parking lot was packed. I mean, there are cars everywhere. And I was just looking at the development itself, and, and I, was, I had a, a moment of um, uh, gratitude because although I don't have anything to do with that property, but I'm just grateful that someone like Tillman Fertitta um, had the vision to develop this property. Uh, you know, a lot of people get jealous when they see a, um, a person growing or, or opening more businesses or building new buildings or what have you. But at the end of the day, it's work. Uh, Tillman, for example, prior to developing this this property, which I believe he spent over $350 million plus on it, prior to doing that, he um, his life was already as great as it's going to get in terms of enjoyment of what he gets to eat, wear, live in, drive, or what have you, fly in in his case. And so any more, anything above, beyond that, what he's already doing to enjoy what he's getting to enjoy now turns into work. It's a real serious work and it's a real responsibility. So for example, the, the property taxes on that property on that development there. And uh, I haven't checked it lately, but I'm going to guess it's somewhere around 900,000 a year, maybe more. And uh, that's a lot of money. I mean, it's just, no, I take that back. It's more than that. It's uh, it's in the millions uh, so I think it's like two or three million a year in taxes. And so the overhead just to cover your taxes on a property like that, think about how many rooms they have to uh, rent or lease or, or book, uh, how many meals you have to serve at the restaurants, how many spa services, uh, how many everything. 
But, you know, when you think about all the jobs that that development created, just building it, and then on top of that, staffing it, uh, we owe a huge debt of gratitude to people like Tillman that's willing to to gamble and invest in that because at the end of the day, like I said, his life is not going to change any. If anything, it's going to improve the lives of so many more uh, than, than just himself. But I tell you what, I just I admire that. And I, and and back in 2004, I, had, I was the, the gala chair for the Restaurant Association here in Houston. And that particular year, we honored Tillman. And uh, one of the things I said was, you know, Houston was very fortunate to to uh, that uh, Landry's makes Houston its home. It's, you know, you know, Tillman obviously is from the area. Uh, I believe he's from Galveston originally. But, yeah, we're just lucky. And next time you see him or you're in a restaurant, just pass along the message. Hey, tell Tillman Fertitta, thank you for, for building these restaurants or, or developing these properties because it really takes someone uh, very brave to do that because it is, uh, it's not easy running it once you open it. So I wanted to say that. So when we were having, uh, when we were having drinks at the Oak Room that night, Sam – uh, El Sadi was telling me a story that they were having one of their properties inspected by the fire marshal and that the fire marshal brought in uh, a trainee to help with the inspection, I guess, to, to show them what to look for and all. And and apparently this trainee accidentally uh, pulled the fire suppression system and activated it. And what it does, it just starts spraying all over your equipment and and uh, it's it's just a big mess because now you got to clean up the entire kitchen and Apparently, that chemical also can damage uh, stainless steel, and it was just a big mess. And the the fire marshal initially said that, hey, a ladder hit the mechanism. That's what caused it to go off. But what they didn't know was that that, uh, Sam has security cameras everywhere, and they caught the, the moment the girl actually pulled the pin or the string or whatever it was that set it off. And he was asking me, what would I do if I was in that situation? I, w- I told him, look, I would tell them they would need to pay to whatever it costs to, to get it refilled or recharged. And that it should fall on the, the, the government, the county government. And so uh, it's a mistake. But, you know, you have to own your mistakes. If it happened to me, if I did something I, that I was responsible for, I would, I would more than be, I'd be more than happy and willing to pay for my mistake. And so the city, the county, or whoever, if they made it, and even though it was an employee, they, they shouldn't get they shouldn't get uh, mad at the employee or reprimand them. Just it's a lesson. I mean, they made a mistake, own it, pay for it, learn from it, and move on. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. So, yeah, uh, you know, if there's one thing, <laughs> so uh, also last uh, last last Friday, I uh, stopped by Ambriza and Katie. Texas and met up with Julio Garcia and his wife Amber and uh, they uh, they were being inspected by the city for their for the CO and for their certif- certificate of occupancy and uh, one of the things I noticed was there was a pony wall toward the back of the restaurant behind the behind the bar that separated the bar from the or the uh, it was the, the 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 railing itself was up against the back of the bar separating the expo area from the dining room and the reason the city made them put that pony wall up is because they didn't want traffic behind the bar and i thought well for one the pony wall itself was maybe and i'm not exaggerating is maybe two feet high and i told them look to me in my opinion that's that's a hazard that's a very very uh dangerous 
level at two feet because people are going to walk and not see it and they're going to fall flat on their face on that hard concrete. That's actually more dangerous than just leaving it open. Um, I don't know why the city believes that there has to be a separation. It doesn't make any sense. And, and I don't know why bureaucrats, uh, well, for one, um, you know, a, a fire marshal, uh, the, the city inspector, they, not all of them, not every, all of them, but some of them, they'll come into your establishment. They themselves have never owned or operated or opened a business in their lives, but they can come in and tell you exactly what you should do. And they don't, but they're not basing it on anything other than what they believe or feel that something should be. And, uh, but they have that, that authority, that power over you to keep you from opening unless you comply with their demands. And so it's, uh, I wish the government would create or the citizens would create a common sense board, a board of common sense people that the, the, the government can present their case and the business can present their case and, and whoever wins, wins the common sense award and it can go to either. But, you know, I understand public safety. Uh, but we have taken it to the extreme. I mean, even in a restaurant uh, where a fire will originate from, will be in the kitchen. We all know that. That's where the gas is at. That's where the flames are at. But you would be surprised and shocked by how much we have to um, have to sprinkle the entire building and the number of um, exit doors. I mean, there's if a fire starts in the kitchen, people will literally walk out. They won't have to sprint out. The fire's not going to spread that fast. But it's just amazing what uh, we have to do as businesses in the name of public safety. And all these costs, all they do is add more overhead to the business, which now has to pass that overhead on to the consumer in, uh, in higher prices for goods and services. And it's just a vicious cycle. But there, there needs to be some common sense brought back. I do know that uh, when Trump was president, one of his goals was to, for every uh, legislation or new law that came out, they had to remove or eliminate three or four or five. I forget what the number was, but it's just there's too many on the books. Uh, The building code, the National Building Code, is extremely thick because they keep adding more and more to it. So my question is, has have things really gotten that much worse in the last five years, ten years, that that Laws or, or ordinances or codes that were developed back 10 years ago are now uh, insignificant or uh, irrelevant because now we have to have new ones today, all in the name of public safety. I don't believe so. I mean, I don't believe so. I, I um, yeah, there was, you know, the ADA, uh, the American for Disabilities Act, was passed by George H. Walker Bush back in, I believe, in 90 or 91, somewhere around there. And um, for, good, for good reason, you know, a person should be able to go to the restroom uh, with, with dignity and not have to, you know, their wheelchair should be able to fit through doors. There should be ways for them to go. There should be ways for them to access a building, uh, you know, via a ramp or what have you. But that book was, I forget how thick it was when they first came out, but it's probably three, two or three or four times as thick now because they keep adding more and more things about um, about, uh, you know, for, for ADA people, for, for handicap or uh, disadvantaged, physically disadvantaged people. So it's just gotten crazy. Uh, business, um, it's just, it's just, it's a game. We all know that. We all play the game and the rules change. It'd be like playing baseball. And, uh, you know, one day under these rules and tomorrow the rules change because someone decided to change them. So anyway, that's my rant for the day. Um, uh, let's see, do I have anything else I want to talk to you about? I did want to share a couple of fun facts with you. 
So first off, um, back in the early 80s, I'm not sure if I already mentioned this, but back in the early 80s, I worked for, I went and applied and worked for a chain of restaurants called Chi-Chi's. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to learn and go through their training program. And so um, I got hired and I worked in the kitchen. And in the kitchen, they had uh, two sections or two stations, station one and station two. And so station one had uh, station one, position one, two, and three. And station two had, it was station two and with positions one, two, and three. And on opening day of Chi-Chi's there at Baybrook Mall, which the building itself is no longer there, after it closed, it it was a uh, Olive Garden and then Olive Garden uh, relocated. But anyway, so on opening day uh, back in, uh, I don't know, it was 83, 84, I was position one, one. I knew everything about that menu. I could make any plate uh, that they had. I mean, I I knew it uh, frontward and forward and backward. So, um, yeah, I was, I was proud of that. And something else um, some of you may or may not know, but Gringo's uses something like 18 million uh, avocados a year to produce our green sauce. And uh, that's just our green sauce. So uh, it's a lot of avocados, uh, a lot of green sauce. It's very popular. It's, it's more actually more popular than our red sauce. And we just serve a ton of it. So anyway, I thought that was um, fun to share. So with that, I will close it. Wow, I'm already over uh, over 24 minutes. So again, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, I know you have better things to do sometimes, but go out and enjoy this Memorial Day uh, week or Memorial Day. And um, and until next time, I'll see you later. And Derek, thank you again for putting this up on the internet. And uh, this has been 10 Minutes with the Master Enchilada Roller, Russell Ibarra. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.